The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Hey, can we play that back? I didn't hear a lot of oohs and ahs about how cute I was. So I'd like, no, I'm just kidding. Um, those pictures were me uh, about five years ago. So I've grown a lot and it's, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, my name is Aaron. As you can tell, I'm one of the pastors here at the Grove Church. And I get the honor today to continue in our series through Colossians called What's Your Deal? Uh, and so it's always an honor to be up here today. Uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 and reading the first 17 verses. Uh, so if you brought your Bible, feel free to open uh, them up there. If you didn't bring your Bible, there should be one of the seat backs in front of you. If there isn't, then there's, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Why? Because we believe the Bible is worth reading and you should read it. And so we want to have it in front of you today to do that. Uh, before we go any further, I want to kind of mention a few different things uh, that are, I think are important to remind us, but also keep, us, keep in front of us. The first is this. I mentioned it last week. In your seat backs, there are these things called discussion questions. There's a place to take notes on them, as well as the program you should have received when you came in today. There's also a place to take notes there. We believe in taking notes because I believe what God says and what God's word reminds us and challenges us in. Sometimes it's easy to forget. If you're anything like me, I forget quickly and easily. Uh, and so taking notes is always a great way to do that. Those discussion questions are really good to take what God in the message today a little bit more further and allow more personal interaction with it. So I would encourage you to do that as well. And if you're plugged into a life group, there'll also be a good resource for your life group discussion this week. Uh, if you're not plugged into a life group, consider this the challenge. You should because it's incredible and you should be a part of it. So um, that's the first thing. The second thing, as you saw in the announcements, this week is going to be an incredible week at the Grove. Uh, I'm so excited to fight hunger. I'm so excited to create a safe place for children in our community uh, through the carnival. Uh, and so I just want to quickly kind of encourage you to jump in and be a part of this week because it's an incredible week that God uses all of us as we say yes to do far more than we could ever imagine or think possible. Our goals are 10,000 pounds of food and $10,000 in, in a special offering as we give next week directly for the food bank. And I'm really believing this, and I hope you'll believe it with me, that God's going to blow open those goals. Uh, I look forward to celebrating with us in a couple weeks' time how much was brought in and what God was able to do through individuals who said, God, yeah, I'll, I'll be a part of that. Uh, so please join us. This Thursday is Rush Freddy's from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Marysville Fred Meyer. Uh, we're going to be there with a food bank truck. Just buying non-perishable food items is intentionally uh, to help fight hunger in our community. There's also fill the truck on Sunday, November 4th, which is next Sunday, where we're going to take all the food that we've collected over the course of the last couple of weeks and bring it here and then load the food bank truck up at the end of fourth service. would love for you to be a part of that. And then we're also giving in a special offering to help raise money for the food bank uh, because it's just one of the things that God challenges us to do. We can do it. And so as the Grove Church, we want to do that. The other thing, we do this small little soiree in the midst of fight hunger uh, called the Carnival. Uh, and if you know what the Carnival is, you know it's not a small soiree. So uh, it's an incredible outreach that we do every Halloween because we believe kids should not worry about what's in their candy. We believe that parents should not worry about what houses are safe for their kids to knock on. And so we want to create an incredible environment that loves our community because Jesus is calling us to be a light in the Marysville community. Uh, and so we're going to create an event years ago that we call the Carnival. Uh, and if you've not jumped in to serve, there's always places to serve. There's always a way to partner together to reach people. We see thousands of individuals walk through our doors, not because it's about a building, but because it's about being a light to the community. And sometimes, some ways the best way to be a light is just to be present. So I would love for you to be a part of that because I think it's valuable. This week is an incredible week. So pray with us, 
serve with us and give with us because it's going to be awesome. Uh, the last thing I want to say is this. Uh, this morning, I woke up uh, about when my alarm went off to a text that I saw that I received that I, it didn't wake me up, thankfully, uh, at 2.40 this morning um, from Pastor Nick. He and his wife, Heather, are over in Europe at London. Uh, they took some vacation to celebrate Heather's birthday, but also just to get away and, and be husband and wife. And so that was fun for them. He texted me, uh, just encouraging me as I got to stand up here today to preach God's word. And he gives me the platform to do that. And so I was thankful for that. But he also wanted me to make sure that I told you uh, that he says hello and he misses you. So uh, consider the message be, have been given. Uh, he uh, is excited to be back with us. We get to have him back this week, which we're really excited about that too. So uh, in light of everything coming up this week, I thought it would be smart to pray now uh, because that's a lot that's coming. And this week is going to be incredible. And I really want God to, to pre- prepare, prepare us for what's coming. And so uh, let's pray today. And if you'll agree with me, that would be awesome. Lord, today we thank you Uh, first off, that we get to gather again this week. Lord, as we come together, we're so thankful that you would take time and allow us and enable us, even in the busyness of our schedules and lives, God, that we could be here to gather together in your presence, to to worship together, to sing songs together, to hear your word together. Lord, I pray that you would cover every part of our service as you already have. God, that you would continue even over this message. Lord, I pray you prepare our hearts to hear from you. God, I pray we would have courage to respond to you. And more than everything else, God, I pray we would leave lighter because of where our focus is tonight. And so, Lord, I thank you for that, Lord. As I think about this week and fight hunger and carnival, Lord, thank you for giving us the vision and the heart to do this. Thank you that it's about your kingdom. Thank you that it's never been about the Grove Church name, but it's been about your kingdom, God, increasing and reaching families and helping provide meals for families through the food bank. And God, even a safe place on Wednesday night for families to bring their kiddos to have a safe place, to have fun, to have games, to get candy. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to serve our community in these ways. I pray you would help all of us. God, continue to be led by your spirit, to lean in where you're calling us to lean in, to serve where you're calling us to serve, to give what you're calling us to give. We pray that you would continue to guard over everything. We pray for protection. We pray for provision. We pray for your favor with families in the community. And God, we pray that you would have your hand in all of us. We want to glorify your name. That's our heart. And so Lord, would you guide and have covering over all of it. And finally, we pray for Nick and Heather, God, pastors, our leaders, our friends. God, as they are finishing up a vacation, Lord, I pray that they would just have rest upon rest. God, in the busyness of all the things they've done, God, I pray they would come back rejuvenated. They would come back replenished. And Lord, they would come back ready to go to continue leading us where you would have us go as, a, as an organization, as a church body. Lord, we are thankful for their leadership and their friendship. We pray blessing over them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I thought it's fitting for you to know one thing about me uh, as I'm up here today. And the first, and this is what is fitting, I'm a confident driver. Uh, I like to label myself that way. I don't know if anybody else would say you're a pretty confident driver. Uh, You don't have to worry about traffic much. You can signal when you need to signal, get where you need to go without uh, a little bit of fear, trepidation. Um, Some of people close to me would call me an aggressive driver. Um, I don't agree with that picture. But even further, some people say I'm a reckless driver, which I absolutely don't agree with. Uh, I've been driving for about 18 years now. I'm 34, got my license when I was almost 17 because I was lazy. Um, That's a different message for a different time. But at the end of the day, 18 years of driving, I've only personally caused two accidents. I can count on one hand how many accidents I've been on in my lifetime, but I've only caused two of them. Uh, And and as I was thinking about this series and I was thinking about Colossians, uh, for some reason, God just just has a sense of humor. And he brought up all of my accidents, which is only two. And I'm going to make sure everyone knows that. Uh, But I remember as I was thinking about these accidents, uh, they happened when I took my eyes off where I was going for a moment and looked to the side. And when I brought my eyes back to where I was going, uh, it 
They both happened when there was cars stopping in front of me, obviously, because I would have hit them. Anyways, um, <laughs> I have my moments. Uh, but they happened because I took my focus off of where I was heading, which is probably the most important thing as I'm driving this multiple-ton vehicle. Uh, I take my eyes off it for a moment, only to look back and have to react in hopes that I don't hit the car in front of me. And two times that that has happened, I hit the car in front of me. I won't tell you how many times it's happened elsewhere because I haven't had those accidents. So you think I'd learn. But the interesting thing is about this story and this passage of Colossians. Throughout this entire book, we've spent time, we've done work breaking down the, this book over the last several weeks. As we finish it next week, we talked about this idea of focus. It's, it's all coming down to this point of like, where are you focusing? What are you looking at? Paul talks about in the very beginning with Pastor Nick, beware of false teachings. Beware of doctrine that is not Jesus-centered. Beware of beliefs and ideas of, of the day and age that are not in alignment with Scripture and who Jesus is. He followed it up in week two, talking about this is who Jesus is. He's sovereign. He's supreme. He's the Son of God. He's the only way to eternity. He's the only way to be reconciled to our Father in heaven. It's not a matter of works. It's a matter of what's been done through Jesus. And we continued on, and as Pastor Ryan brought up last week, this idea of we now have freedom in Christ, where he challenged us not to live to the burden of legalism anymore, but to live in the freedom that Christ provides. And at the end of that message, Pastor Ryan asked a question that I think sets us up really, really well for, for this week in Colossians chapter 3. And the question was this. He just simply asked, what Jesus are you following? Do you love Jesus or do you love the idea of Jesus? And I hope that this question challenged you last week because it challenged me. It says some, he said this, that some people love the idea of Jesus, the idea of a Savior, the idea of free grace, but do they actually love him? Does his truth shape your ideals, or do you try and justify those ideals? As I talk about the idea of how do we build a Christ-centered life, it hinges on the answer to that question. And Paul answers right off the bat in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, about focus. So what I want to do over the next few moments is read through this passage together, break it down, share a few thoughts, and hopefully lead you to a point of challenging your focus. Where are you focusing at today? So let's read today Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. You should underline that verse. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves... You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, 
and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. See, as I think about this conversation in Colossians, Paul hits it right off the bat. Your focus is what determines your direction. He talks about where you're looking is determining how you're living your life off of. And I think today, many of us, we have one of two ways that we respond to the situation life brings at us. We respond to them appropriately and we adjust and we prepare and we're able to make the right decisions to allow us to continue moving forward in the path that God has for us, or we react. We, we lose our focus for a moment only to come back and all of a sudden it's like, oh shoot, I got to turn or I'm going to hit the car in front of me. Much like I when I was driving those couple times. And Paul is challenging you and I today, we have to be focused. We have to set our focus on what matters, not on what doesn't matter around us. As I think about this question, how do you and I build a Christ-centered life? I think the answer I would suggest to you can be wrapped up in one simple statement that also has a lot of profundity, if I can make up my own word, I will, to it. It says this, knowing Christ, which is this picture of focus, knowing Christ leads to living a life in response, not reaction. We are quick to react, oftentimes slow to respond. When things get uncomfortable or inconvenient, we are more quick to react than we are to respond. See, Paul, in the first part of chapter 3, sets us up for the right, in the right way. He sets us up where it talks about the idea of focus. He says, set your mind on earthly things, what he ta- or on heavenly things, not earthly things. So just checking to see if you were awake. He says that since you've become part of Christ, since you, I'm going to read it because I'm missing it, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, since you've made a decision to follow Jesus, some of us in this room, we're still on that journey to make a decision. That's okay. I'm glad you're here because this is part of that journey for you. And I would argue the best decision you can ever thoughtfully make is saying yes to Christ. Don't do it whimsically. Don't do it emotionally. Don't do it because everyone else is doing it. No, do it thoughtfully and intentionally because that decision changes the rest of your life for the better. So be intentional about that. Since you've said yes to Jesus, so there's some of us on this journey saying yes to Christ. There's others of us in this room that have said yes to Jesus, and now we're on the journey. We will never fully understand what it means to live for Jesus until eternity hits. We're on, we're on a journey. We're learning. We're growing. None of us in this room is perfect. We're nowhere close to it because we're not in front of Jesus yet. When we stand before Christ, you know what's going to happen? Like, oh, that makes so much sense. I was so foolish. We're going to have a lot of fun rehashing, but also coming to the fully aware, like full awareness of what the life in Christ means. But until then, we're on a journey. So if I can say anything to you, I give you grace. Please, you're on a journey. But let's keep our focus on Christ. And what Paul's going to tell us through this book is when we lose focus, we need to, regain, we need to learn quickly and refocus because that's the journey we're on. So he says this, since you've been raised to new life in Christ, 
Now, this is how we get to live. Same picture as this. When you're, getting, when you're given your license, you have new freedoms, right? But there's also new responsibilities. You and I must now be more responsible based upon the life we've been given in Christ. It says, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ, is, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Do you know why Christ sat? See, Jesus, when he showed up in this earth thousands of years ago, he lived a sinless life from, from a baby to a man. Lived sinless so he could be our sacrifice because we're sinful. Lived a perfect life, gave his life up on the cross, was crucified, died, on the third day was risen again, hung out with about 500 people over the course of 40 days just to say, hey, I'm alive, the devil didn't win, ha, 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 jokes on him, whatever, my paraphrase. 500 people, then he ascends into heaven. When he gets to heaven, you know what he does? <sighs> Sits. Why? Because the work he did, he came to accomplish is finished. After a long day of hard work, when you get home, what's the first thing you want to do? Sit. Some of you are like, I want to stand because I sat all day. I get it. But you want to rest. The sitting of Christ symbolizes completion. He is now done with his task. He accomplished it. There's some of us in this room, we need to stop living and trying to prove ourselves that we're good enough for Christ's work and rest in the fact that he's already accomplished that work so we can now live in the freedom, as Pastor Ryan brought up last week, that he provides. Stop trying to do what Christ has already done. Live in response to what he's done. That's this week. We get to now live in response to what Jesus has done. He has already accomplished this work. So it says, Paul says, hey, keep your eyes focused on heaven where Jesus is seated, meaning the work he came to fight and accomplish is done. Because when we, why? Because when we stay focused on Jesus, we can respond to his goodness and faithfulness. We can respond to his purpose and calling. We can respond to the joy and the fulfillment that he promises. Keep our focus. That's what Paul says in the first few verses. He continues on. Turn my page. He says this, when Christ who is your life is revealed, you will share in his glory. So put to death the earthly things lurking within you. There's a movie that came out many years ago called 100, or was, the name was 127 Hours. It's about this gentleman who was hiking through Utah on his own. He just was exploring, adventurous, having a great time. He was kind of climbing up and down the crevices. He fell down into a crevice, a rock fell, and his arm got cut, stuck, not cut, stuck. He was then trapped. He couldn't go anywhere. He was by himself. He was in a remote location. He was by himself, and his arm was stuck. He's screaming, calling out for help because he's by himself and he's hoping on hoping and hoping that someone will come by by chance. Screaming, no one's there. He's on the verge of starvation, dehydration over the course of 127 hours. He comes to a final point of decision he has to make. I'm either going to die like this with my arm stuck in, in a rock or I need to cut my arm off so I can have a chance to live. Not to be gruesome. That's the picture Paul is trying to paint for us. Put to death the sinful, earthly things that are lurking, lurking within you. First off, he's not saying you're a mess. We all know that. We are. He's helping you bring awareness to your old nature because there's an adjustment, period. You said yes to Jesus. Now there's an adjustment until eternity happens. Put to death. What are those, what are those sinful, earthly things? I'm glad you asked. This is the favorite, my favorite part of this message. No, it's not. What are they? Sexual immorality, 
which is the word, it's a Greek word. We actually get pornography from this word, pornea. It's the idea of habitual sex, illicit behavior. Continues on, impurity, which isn't just a mental thing. It's un, it refers to uncleanness of thought, word, and action. Lust and evil desires. Hope you feel good today. It's this idea of uncontrolled desire. We desire things that are not good. It always has a negative connotation when, when Paul uses it, when the New Testament uses it. It's always a bad idea. It's always a bad vibe to it. Uncontrolled desire. Paul is saying these are some of the things that we need to cut off. He's not saying, hey, like, just tolerate them and, and just endure them and, and buck up and you'll kind of get over it eventually. You'll find new habits or you'll figure out ways to overcome it. No, Paul's saying you have no hope against these things. Pause for a moment. That's not all. He says this, that greed is another one of these things. The sinful, earthly things lurking inside of you, greed. You know what greed is? It's a form of idolatry. It's this picture that we view other people and items in this world for our own benefit. We're greedy. I'm all that matters. This is idolatry because it takes things and people and places them in the place of God. It takes our focus off of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God and puts them on the things that we want for our own benefit. In essence, we become our own God. And everybody and anything is for my benefit. It doesn't stop there. He makes a statement that God's anger is coming to the world because of these sins. Awesome. I'm glad I'm associated with him. No, Paul's saying cut them off. Doesn't stop there. He says anger, rage, malicious behavior. He says slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. All of these things, Paul's saying cut them off. One of the most sobering statements I ever heard from my wife, one of, yeah, there's plenty of them, I'm a Cowboys fan. You saw it in multiple pictures. Even the last picture, Cowboys, that's what I do. I love it. But there's a moment where when we got married, I started inviting her to watch Cowboys games with me. Any good husband would invite them to watch football because if you like football, it's awesome. My wife's response to me, no. Come on, girl. Like, you're not fun to watch with. Psh, you're, 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 you're funny. No, she literally would not watch. You're just not fun to watch football with. Because the problem is, I gave so much influence and weight to football in my life that it actually would ruin the rest of my day. Cowboys aren't a good team, okay? I'm going to admit that. They've been a good team. And there's been times they've been better than the Seahawks, times. Not this last year. But the crazy thing is, I would, I would let my mood depend on whether the Cowboys won or lost. My day would change. My attitude would change. I would sit there just, like you saw Grumpy Aaron? Oh yeah, times 10 do you want to go do something? No, this day I'm done. I just want to go to bed. I just was a grump. The moment my wife said that to me, I realized quickly, this can't be. Since that moment, and she would tell you this, I'm not that way anymore. Do I still like the Cowboys? Yeah. Do I still have Cowboys gear? Yes. Do I still love it when they beat the Seahawks? Yes, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen again. But I love the Cowboys, but you know what doesn't happen anymore? When they play like garbage, I don't walk around like a grump that doesn't want to be talked to. I watched this Cowboys-Seahawks game with actually Pastor Nick and Pastor Ryan at Pastor Nick's house, so there was nowhere for me to hide except the bathroom, and I just didn't want to do that. <laughs> Cowboys did not play well. The Seahawks played well. But I didn't sit there. I hate these people. 
I didn't sit there with my arms crossed. Like, I just was like, this is so dumb. I wish it was a better game at least. But it didn't determine the rest of my day. See, there's some of us here today, you can relate to that. I was talking to someone in the lobby. He was literally saying, I used to be that way too. About the Seahawks, not the Cowboys. And what God has been doing in me in regards to football, you need to as well. But some of you, it's not even football. Some of you, it's a video game. Some of you, it's, it's, it's an environment you go to after work. It changes your entire demeanor. What you're giving yourself to, Paul is telling you those are earthly, sinful things lurking within you that you're supposed to cut off. Because if you don't, you're going to die. If you don't, you're going to perish. There's some of us in the room, you go to website after website after website, you got to cut that off. Get rid of the computer. Get rid of your access. There's some of us in the room, you go back to this relationship at work, at your workplace because you feel emotionally affirmed. Cut it off. I'm not, I, I, please. Because it's distracting you from your focus. Not even talking about your marriage or your integrity or none of those, your focus. See, some of you go to a bar to decompress after work. Stop, cut it off because it's not feeding who you are. That's the old you. Cut it off. See, I, you already know. I don't need to sit here and tell you what it is. Well, he didn't, he didn't say that in his message, so I can still do that. No, it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to lead you, guide you, and convict you. We have this picture of an angry God who's ready to punish us. Can I, can I encourage you for a moment? God is not angry at you. God is passionate for you. He desires your wholeness. He desires your greatness. He desires you to be whole and filled. What he doesn't like is sin. God is passionate at eradicating sin in our lives. I've said it this way. I wrote it in my notes. He's a careful surgeon cutting out cancer that's out to destroy us. It's painful. It's not easy. It requires recovery, but it's so worth it. For whatever it's worth, whoever needs to hear that today, he's for you. God's anger is not against you. It's against sin. So cut off any association with it. Where do you need to do that? The thing is, Paul doesn't stop there, and I'm thankful for this. It's really easy to hear, like, oh, man, I'm such a miserable failure, and I'm raising my hand. As I'm writing this message, I'm like, God, you, you need to speak to me first. You need to rip me a new one first. You need to challenge and cut things out of me because I still get angry. I'm still harsh. I still get caught up in things that are not at all beneficial or worthwhile. They're momentary. And so I'm thankful Paul doesn't stop there. In verses 10 to 11, he says this, put on your new self. For those of you who said yes to Jesus, you are made new. Put on your new nature. It's like putting on new clothing. Hey, I don't have to wear the clothing I've been wearing for the last 20 years of my life. I get to put on brand new clothes. I get to put on something brand new. My, I'm new. He says, it doesn't matter your reputation. This is my paraphrase. He doesn't matter your reputation, what you've been known for, Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or uncivilized. Christ is all that matters. There's a very clear line for us today. It's Christ is all that matters. The thing behind everything is Christ. How we live in response to him is what matters. Put on the new nature. He continues on. What does it look like to put on the new nature? In verses 12 to 17, I want to say this because I think someone needs to hear it today. He says this in verse 12. Since God chose you 
Some of you here today think that you're not worthy to be chosen. You feel like you're always the last kid who may be picked for the kickball team if there's even numbers. God chose you. He didn't choose you first because he chose Jesus first. Jesus is number one. But he chose the rest of us, number two. God chose you. God chose you. Not based upon what you've done, not based upon what you're going to do. He chose you based upon who you are, his child. God chose you. It says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must now clothe yourselves. With what? What do I clothe myself with? Obviously, this is a metaphor. You're not going to walk around putting on mercy. Like, don't do that. Body paint's not good. Just make sure you're awake. Mercy. Compassion. Clothe yourselves with mercy. Kindness. Be nice. How many times do we tell our kids, be nice? Yo, how we tell them is not really nice. Be nice! <laughs> I don't know what to do. You're sending me mixed messages. I feel that all the time with my kids. You need to start picking up your stuff. Aren't those your shoes? Shut it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> be nice. Humility. Don't think of yourself as better than anyone else. There's not a single person in this room that's better than me or that I'm better than. I didn't make sure I qualified that. I came out wrong. Humility. Clothe yourself with gentleness. This is where I struggle. I'm harsh. Be gentle. Patience. Endure. Have, eternal, have an eternal perspective. Accepting others no matter their faults. Oh, that's a hard one. This is an even more difficult one. Forgiving. See, allow me for a moment. We oftentimes base our forgiveness on whether we deem them worthy. Well, they haven't asked me for forgiveness, so why should I forgive them? It's a good point. But we forget that God forgave us freely without us asking. Well, I repent of my sins before you were born, before you were created. God forgave freely. Our forgiveness is not based upon people. It's based upon the one who forgave. When we keep our focus on Jesus, we then gain an actual biblical perspective of forgiveness. How are you doing at forgiving people today? I won't go any further. Finally, he says love. Love is what unites us all. If we don't have a genuine, and he's talking to, he's talking to the body of Christ here. If we don't have a genuine love for one another, and I'm not saying like, there might be BFFs, we take selfies all the time. We go on family vacation. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you can't look at someone in the lobby today and have a genuine love and care for them, we need to revisit because we can't genuinely love and care for the community if we can't genuinely love and care for one another. We're called to love because God loved, not because it's comfortable and easy to love. Love is difficult. I don't like it sometimes. I love myself more than I love my family sometimes. And the worst part is it's harder to love my wife than it is to love my kids. Because kids are easy to love sometimes. They're also easy to get really mad at. But there's just something about, like, man, these are my kids. I love them. My wife, I have to choose to love even when I don't love her. Feel the love. That makes sense. God is so gracious to us. Love is what unites us. Man, there's so much more to this. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace is meant to be an umpire in our lives. It's meant to tell us whether we were inbounds or out of bounds, whether it was within the strike zone or outside of the strike zone. If we're doing something and there's no peace, then it should be the first indication, like, I shouldn't be going that way. Hey, I'm thinking about moving across the country. Well, what are, what, is, there God, is there peace in that? No. I just think it'd be a fun adventure. 
Well, then don't do it until you have peace. The last thing I want to say is this, and it's really funny to me because I came into service, this service, and there was this entire Costco pumpkin pie sitting on the front seat for me. This is not a solicitation for pumpkin pie people. But it says this. It says, let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. I was wondering about this and wrestling with this thought because I'm like, man, this is such a powerful truth that I wish I could preach an entire message on. But it's not my job to preach the message. It's the Holy Spirit's job to teach you. So I would encourage you this week, don't rest on just what you heard today. Spend time with the Holy Spirit and listen to him. Let the word of God teach you, not Pastor Aaron's version of the word teach you. But there's this, this picture of it's, it's fall. I know this is Pastor Ryan's favorite season. He's all about the rain and all about the gloom and all about the, like, the negative thing. I'm just kidding. Love you, bro. Uh, but it's all about fall weather. He loves the fall. I think fall is beautiful. I think it's incredible. And having the day we had last Sunday at the pumpkin patch, like it's gorgeous. But I was like, what do I like about the fall? And two words came to mind. Pumpkin pie. Come on. And the thing about pumpkin pie is for me, and you, maybe you're in here and you love pumpkin pie. If you don't love pumpkin pie, I'm going to pray for you today before I leave. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm going to pray that you don't love pumpkin pie because it's more for me. Um, but if someone were to offer me a taste of pumpkin pie, I seriously contemplate having a slice and do it right now. But the problem is I can't just, I'm not good with the taste. You ever have something just like, man, that tastes really good. I'm good. I don't need any more. Pumpkin pie is not that way for me. You give me a fork full of pumpkin pie, I want the whole pie. I've been known, and this is what makes it so funny, to down my own pumpkin pie from Costco by myself. I've never done it in one sitting, but I'm pretty confident I could. I just like to try and spread it out. That way I don't feel like such a glutton. Anyways, but the crazy thing about this is the same thing is true of Jesus. And I got convicted. How many times do I come in? to my time with God, whether it's on a Sunday morning like this, it's on a, a midweek where I'm spending time praying and reading God's word, which makes me sound really spiritual and it's not as often as you think, but that I just come in for a taste. God, I just want a taste so that way I feel better about what I'm going through. That way I feel like you're actually present and I'm good with the taste, but God's like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to be content with the taste of me. I want you to be content with the fullness of me. See, this adjustment from the moment we say yes to Jesus to the moment of eternity, we are supposed to be satisfied with the fullness of the message of Jesus. In all of human history, from the moment it started to the moment it ends, we will never contain or understand the fullness of the message of Jesus. So why do we settle for a taste? Why do I settle for a taste? I know not to go to a grocery store when I'm hungry because I buy junk hey, this sounds really good. It's a bunch of sugar. Yeah, I love sugar. I don't have a sweet tooth. I have a sweet mouth. I'm good. That's why I eat a whole pump anyways. I know there's certain things that I shouldn't do. Doesn't mean I don't do them. But how often do I come in and settle for a taste of Jesus when it's the message of Jesus that should translate into my entire life? I'm convinced of this, that if we maintain focus, as Paul tells us in the first four verses of chapter three, and we stay committed to that over the course of our journey, the richness of the life of Jesus, the message of Jesus will permeate every part of our lives where we will have no other desire for the things of this world. See, Paul says that your eyes on the heavenly things, not the earthly things. But the problem is we're like, yeah, that was good, but I really want this. And we're so quick to stay here 
then rather than cut it off, that we miss sight of, God, I want everything you have for me. If I were to take you all the coffee, I were to buy and you were to just share with me, like, Here, here's my life, here's what I'm dealing with, here's what I'm wrestling through. And I were to have a response, a, a next step for you to do. It would be out of Colossians 3. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Let the message of Jesus fill your life. Pastor Ryan did a great job and a really good challenge for me. We need to stop hearing about this from someone else. And we need to start letting the Holy Spirit teach us from his word. We, we, need, to spend, we need to be students of his word. The Bible says in James that we need to be hearers and doers, not just hearers. But the problem is we settle for a taste when what really he wants to have is give us a whole pumpkin pie. Such a great, I should have had it now. I want it in the fridge so that way I can eat it later. My question to you today is where in your life do you need the fullness of this message to be your focus? Because you want to build a Christ-centered life, it starts with first fixing your eyes on Jesus, who says the author and perfecter of our faith in Hebrews. Where do you need to focus? Is your marriage falling apart? Your relationship's going kaput? Your reconciliation with your siblings or your brothers or your, your kids? Is your work job a dead-end job? Let the message and the fullness fill your lives. Well, what are you saying, Aaron? I'm saying this. Let that be your focus. Not my Bible, your Bible. Let God's word be what we devote and commit ourselves to. We look for a quick fix. I'll say this last thing, and then I want to pray for you because it's time. I was convicted a long time ago and continually since then that whenever I needed kind of a, a quick pick-me-up, I needed, I mean, I just want to be a better Christian. I want to love Jesus better. I want to study his word more. There was a season in my life where I, I actually dreaded reading the Bible. And I remember, God, I just want to read your Bible. I want to fall in love with your word. I just want to, well, let me find a book. No joke, I went and bought a book that was supposed to walk me through how to fall in love with God's word. And there's this conviction of God's gracious Holy Spirit he just said this, Aaron, stop falling in love with other people's perspectives of me, other people's revelations of me, and let me reveal myself to you. You want the fullness of Jesus? Let his revelation of his word fill your life. Not a message, not some devotional, not some Christian self-help book, but the word of God, which is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It's uncomfortable, but it's powerful. It's brilliant, and it's amazing, and it's hard to understand sometimes. I felt like a Bible thumper. But this, this, where do you need to refocus today? Where do you need to refocus today? Let me pray for you. God, today, I wish I could have all the answers to share with your people, but I'm thankful that I have the answer that we have the answer. His name is Jesus. So God, I pray today that you would help each of us to be honest, to be diligent and faithful. God, that we would find ourselves daily, continually refocusing our lives and our hearts on you, Jesus. We want to build a life that honors you. We want to build a life that glorifies you. We want to be everything you've called us to be. And I'm thankful that you walk with us through that journey.
So God, today I pray no one would feel beat up or discouraged, but God, that they would be hopeful knowing I need to focus on you, Jesus. That my next step is to focus on you, Jesus. Whether that's reading my Bible, whether that's spending time in prayer, but focusing on you, Jesus, above everything else. I pray you'd be with us today. I pray you'd lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.